This is Limit Up, a trading podcast presented by the performance coaches at Top Step. We discuss futures, forex, stocks, options, history, trading psychology. Basically, if you can trade it, we'll try our best to make sense of it. Now, on to the show. Happy Thursday, y'all. It's the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step. I'm Jack Pelzer. Joined by Dan Hodgman, and today we're going to be talking about the very pleasant topic of when to change your strategies, meaning that as hard as we try, not everything we do is always going to work out. We try to make the best of it. Dan, you've had a few uh, shortcomings in your past, right? Or has it just been all gravy and... It's all been pure money making. No, of course. Made a lot of... Had to make a lot of changes over the years, make a lot of adjustments. Um when it comes to changing strategy, it's not this like huge jump ship and hop onto a new ship. It's like, okay, we have a small little leak. Let's plug that little leak to make that small little change. That's ch- strategy change. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into all that. But first, uh, we wanted to do our little weekly thing of takes and levels. Uh, Dan, is there anything that you're looking at in particular? It's caught your fancy this week. Crude oil, man. Yeah, we talked about it this week on the Coach's Playbook, if you want to check that out. But Dan, tell us. I wanted to bring it in again because I think it's important for us to know. I think a lot of people are watching crude oil. We're at a 14-month trend higher uh, from our wild April we had last year. Uh, So we're trending higher there. We're coming up to our 32-month high, so going back to 2018. And if we start to trade above 75 you know, looking at the technicals all the way back, we're not seeing anything really of value until we get closer to that $90, $93 mark. So there could be a huge, huge chance that this market could accelerate if we get above 75. Yeah. I I, I would encourage listening to the thing we posted on YouTube, the coach's playbook. We went into it in depth. I, yeah, I'll be taking a look at that market very carefully as well. What are your thoughts here, Jack? What are you looking at? What's your hot topic? My hot topic this week. So these aren't just levels. These are also topics that are hot. And I saw that yesterday we have a new member of uh, Club Two Trill. I'll get to who it is first. Are you familiar with uh, Club Trillion? Yes. Not in the market sense, uh, from the basketball blog sense. Oh, no, not at all. There was this guy. He was a former bench player for Ohio State who went on to become a uh, reporter for uh, ESPN. And he had this blog that I love the name of it. It was called uh, Club Trillion. And it was the idea that he would award players that got a Club Trillion. It meant you were a bench warmer. And if you look at a stat line for college, it's 13 uh, stats long. And you got a Club Trillion if you got one minute played and then zeros across the board for everything else. <laughs> so I think I think he pointed out that he was like the king of Club Trillions. Now I love that. It's pretty great, right? I love I love to be uh, if people could be self depreciating about that. But uh, this is a different Club Trillion, the exclusive twelve commas club. Uh, it was just a couple years ago that Apple became the first publicly traded company to reach a trillion. Now. I need to switch screens to look at. Now, there are five of them with Facebook being very close to being the sixth. Really, they're the fifth. You see Saudi Aramco is on there too, and God knows what they're doing. 
But um, <laughs> we actually had a new member yesterday of the Two Trillion Club, the Club Two Trill, and that was Microsoft. So, Dan, how wild is it to see a company valued at over two trillion dollars? So, Jack, I decided to try and paint a picture of what a trillion dollars is. So I pulled some interesting stats about what $1 trillion is. Now double it for the $2 trillion. A stack of a billion dollars would be 67.9 miles high. A stack of a trillion dollar bills would reach 67,866 miles into space. Now for spending purposes, which I think is pretty wild, if you were to spend $40 a second, it would take you 289 days to spend a billion dollars. That's a rate of $3.456,000 million per day. Now, if you were to spend at that same rate $40 a second at a trillion dollars, if you had a trillion dollars to spend it at $40 a second, it would take you 792.5 years to spend $1 trillion. So 1,400 years, almost 1,500 years, excuse me, almost 1,600 years to blow through $2 trillion at $40 a second. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not denying that the Microsoft Corporation is selling a great deal of Windows operating systems. And um, (laughs) I don't even, I've always, outside the trading uh, rigs we use in the office, I must admit, I've always been, I had Apple computers. I don't know a ton. I haven't paid attention to a ton of what Microsoft is doing. What What is their huge engine for growth right now? Because like, I think about an Amazon with AWS or Apple is kind of synonymous with uh, privacy and personal devices. Then you got Google and Facebook are selling your data to the highest bidder. All those make sense to me why they're making a lot of money. What is... Uh, what is Microsoft doing to be worth two trillion? Well, Microsoft has has the gaming systems. Xbox is Microsoft based, so all their all that is Microsoft. But beyond that, I I don't know. I mean, I I grew up the opposite of you, right? I grew up with a trader as a father, and when it came to computers, like we all wanted a Mac, and he was like, absolutely not. There'd be no Macs in our house. You can't trade on those. You will get a Microsoft based PC. Yeah, like. We we all wanted Macs so bad, but we were not allowed to get them because you couldn't trade on them. I grew up with parents that knew nothing about technology. So I actually, the, despite being just 34 years old right now, grew up typing grade school papers on a typewriter, um, an electric typewriter, because wow. a real, hot, real hot take by my mother in this would have been. So did you keep a little thing of white out there to white it out? Dan, uh, at that point in time, typewriter technology was improving at a rate almost on par with computers <laughs> because it would do it itself. Like there was a delete button on this typewriter that would white it out for you. So th- that that must be why my mom thought it was the future. Uh, it decidedly <laughs> wasn't. And we bought a uh, a Mac soon thereafter. Not before my mom went the other way and she bought a computer called an e-machine, which was supposed to be some company that was a response to the iMacs, the colored ones. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. Anyway, uh, enough about... <laughs> we digress. We digress. But just like uh, at that point, my mom changed her strategy on electronic acquisition in our household. We're talking about changing strategies as far as trading today goes. So 
we always talk about how you need, need, need a strategy when you go about trading. Because without a consistent strategy, you're just throwing darts because there's no way to track your success. Even if you're not a math person, you should realize that to evaluate something statistically, you can only change one variable at a time. And that's how you do scientific experiments. And you should treat your trading like a scientific experiment too. And you can always, it doesn't just have to be that things aren't working. You can always try new things. Just try one new thing at a time. So, Dan, how long do you give it? We're going to start by talking about time frames here. Because bad days happen. You can't have one bad day where something's not working and being like, well, let's throw it all out. What sort of time frame do you look at, Dan? Jack, that's a great question. I think it's really hard to kind of... Like for me, if I were to say, if I'm unsuccessful for a month, um, it's time to change. It really is based off of like how inconsistent or how inconsistent my trading PLs are over a period of time. Let's give it, let's just say over a month, if a majority of that month, it was in a specific market state. When we say market state, you know, range bound, trending higher, trending lower and creating a channel, whatever the case may be, if I'm unsuccessful, over a period of time in that month, uh, I had a bad month, but the market was range bound. My strategy works better when I'm range bound versus when the market breaks out or gets directional. Like once it's showing direction, I can trade the direction, but catching those breakouts really isn't my style. Um, so if we've been in range bound trade for a month and I'm not being successful, that would be time for me to change. Or when I say change, it's really, you have to start looking at the data um, looking back and seeing, okay, if I were to look back over that month, you know, where would I have actually been profitable to make that range trade? Um, and it's small little incremental changes. Um, it's how I'm looking at my levels. You know, what's changed in the in the entire marketplace that's making me unsuccessful? Is it because ranges have just gotten bigger or ranges got tighter? which is something that I think we all deal with. We get an expectation, you know, last week we were making huge ranges and I was making huge profits. This week we got really tight and I was keeping those big stops, but I wasn't hitting the profit targets because I still had that expectation. And so it's just bringing that, realizing that expectation, bringing it a little bit tighter to get a better, closer idea of it. So if I'm inconsistent for over a month, then I'll start to look into trying to figure it out. But, you know, much lower than that, hey, I can't make the market do what I want it to do some days or some weeks. Right. I have to be okay with that. And we'll get to that. A slightly different version of this is a changing market state, changing the way you trade or your strategy. I'm, I'm kind of talking about like the, the wider strategy in general for this first part. And what I want people to take away from it is there's two things to be avoided. And this is why I think that these kind of strategies need that you need to innovate in the midterm. You don't want to do what I mentioned at the beginning, where you have snap judgments, you have one bad thing. It reminds me, I see a lot of people doing this, myself included, with their golf swings, for instance. It's, you're not doing what you want, so you change a million things. You don't really settle into anything, you just kind of, you watch a YouTube video and you go after the next shiny object, and you just do that consistently. You're just rotating through it. I think that's not giving things enough time to work out 
or to practice or to get better at them. On the flip side, whether it's your golf swing or your trading account, you don't want to let things slip into this long-term decline where suddenly it's a couple years from now and you're just treading water trading, but it's been coming just a constant squeeze of your margins, just like a little bit less juice. I mean, I know a little something about this. That's sort of how the last couple of years I was trading treasury bonds at a um, prop firm went where it was just, well, we're going to need to make some really big changes to the strategy because the environment, and we're not even talking about trends at that point. We're talking about huge I say macro trends a lot, but things that things that change over years. Think about the solution. Uh, it's like the business cycle. You know, if you're you were the company that was selling VCRs, you made a killing, and then gradually a little less over the years, and then one day it didn't work anymore. But it wasn't because well, we're just in a trend. It's like, no, this is over. You got to go do something else now. You got to go sell DVD players. And then the same thing happens. You sell DVD players for a while and eventually you got to go into something else. So that's, you can't get sucked in. You need to be kind of nimble, but also give things enough time to work. Yeah, and I'll give a prime example of something like that too when it comes to the trading world that I went through, I don't know, six, six or seven years ago, six years ago maybe, China was having a huge influence on the treasury markets and they were opening up every night and volatility was screaming all over the place for the first three or four hours in the overnight session. And it was frightening when you had large long-term positions on. And so we began to adjust our strategy from trading two months out to trading weekly options strictly because when you were trading the weekly, they weren't getting hit as hard on the volatility and you knew you could get out of that weekly a little bit easier if it really went to, went against you. When you're trading two months out, three month out contracts, um, and remember when the options world expiration is every single month, so you're trading three different months, give or take, and you're doing that. When we had that increased volatility for three or four hours every night, it was making the trade a little bit more difficult. We were having inconsistency. We were taking a lot of heat and risk uh, for four hours, and we recognized, hey, it's not working trading three months out. Let's work on some weeklies right now um, until we get this figured out. And that was a change that happened over time that really hasn't really changed a whole lot in that options world. And right now, the the weeklies have become just kind of like what a lot of people are doing right now in the future side. The micros have really increased uh, volume and people have started to transition from trading the minis to the micros just because you look at the NASDAQ, the e-mini NASDAQ is... Uh, lost a lot of volumes because of the micros and it's made trading the e-mini NASDAQ a little bit more difficult. And so if you start to recognize those changes in the marketplace, it gives you a chance to adjust. You can still trade similarly, but it gives you a chance to make that small adjustment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Another small interjection here, just because we were talking about it before we started recording, but I think it would be a fun example for people because if we look at illustrations of how not to maybe build a strategy, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about like what you got to be careful with trading on simulators because they're not perfect representations of the market. So that's why you got to test any strategy you use at a smaller size in real money before you really start piling on. And a, a prime example, Dan was telling me before this, we saw some account we had that 
past step one or two one. of the trading combine. Step one. Five thousand, little over five thousand contracts traded in one day, and I decided to look into it a little bit because that's a lot. Five thousand contracts. Large prop firms are not having traders trade five thousand contracts in a day. And so I decided to try and figure it out just to get like a a visual of it. And so I pulled that day up in the Nasdaq, and the Nasdaq had traded four hundred and forty-seven thousand contracts that day. So this one trader did 1.12% of the entire volume for one day in sim. Yeah, exactly. That's unrealistic. Come on. I, I mean, we can all we can all say, sure, I could click in and out a thousand, couple thousand times in a day. Yeah, sure. Click in, hit exit all, click in, hit exit all, click in, hit exit all. Well, it, it yeah, it shows how the, the the prices aren't quite right. You can't, if you traded more than 1%, of something a day, you're going to move it around. And I can tell you this for sure because I used to work at a firm that between all of us was trading a couple percent of uh, the markets we were in. And if we were stuck in something, it moved the prices around. So you can't, it's mm-hmm. just, it's not a... Um, there's a there's a great story. And I'm, I'll, if I were to try and explain it in detail, I would butcher it. Um, but there was a bond trader back in the, I think it was in the 90s, and his position was massive. And it wasn't like he had 50% of the marketplace, but he had a, a small percentage of the entire marketplace in his book. And he was manipulating direction of that market. So when he when the he would start buying bonds up, bringing the market higher, once he built his position, people kept buying and then he would go and sell. And then the market would drop down drastically. And he was just running it up, running it down, running it up, running it down. And this was not like he had 50%. I'm thinking he had, I think it was something like 2% of the entire marketplace. And it was sending the bond market insane. And people were watching him do this like, how? Oh my gosh, this guy's just moving the direction of the entire bond market based off of his one position. Yeah, I mean... That did did he get in trouble for that at some point, or it's it's a little bit unclear. It's it's unclear for me. Um, I've heard the story secondhand from other people, so I don't know it specifically. I wish I could give actual good details on it. I just knew it was he was a large position, and he would buy it up and then sell it down, buy it up and sell it down all day long. Yeah, that's wild. Another thing to take a look at is. And I think we've talked about this in an episode before. Is um, you know, what personal metrics you're looking at to judge uh what your performance is. So Dan, when you're thinking about like strategies, besides I think PL is obviously important, but it has to be paired along with certain caveats. So how uh, how do you kind of tell when you say you're being consistent earlier or inconsistent, how do you look at that? So at the end of every day. This is what I tell a lot of traders to do. Um, I won't say I'm perfect at it. I've been doing it long enough to just kind of have an idea of what I'm doing well and what I'm not. But if you're getting, if you're new into this or you've been struggling, rate your day not based on PL, but on execution. Like, how are you following your plan? And if you're being consistent to your plan, you should be getting, you know, A's and B's. I, I think it's very simple. You know, you got an A, you got a B, a C, a D, and F. You know, put a simple grading scale with it. And if just because you lose money does not mean it was a 
unsuccessful day. If you're executing to your strategy and your plan, you're creating consistency. And just because you lost doesn't mean you can you can't get an A. So if you're grading your strategy and you're getting A's over a week long period and every day's been off, then you can start to look. Um, but if you're not following the plan, if you're not being consistent in execution, right? If you're looking for three different, let's just use one simple setup that I talk about every day on the market recap. John talks about it every morning on the market forecast. If the market opens up away from settlement price, one simple strategy or simple trade setup is look for that market to close the gap to settlement. Now you have two options when that happens. You can either take the trade off the open and see if it'll run to settlement price, or you can wait till the market gets to settlement price and you can look for an opportunity to move away from that. Very simple, simple strategy that has a high success rate. If you're executing that trade and you're not making money regularly, you get to start to look into it. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm executing that strategy. I'm doing well on it. And then you can start to notice, you know, what I've noticed is I've lost money every day this week taking that trade. And you can start to look at it and go, okay, well, I'm getting in, but I'm not getting in at a point that I'm able to manage my risk very well. Um, maybe you're getting in in the center of an overnight range. There are levels down below. Let's keep it really simple. There's a point of control from the prior day down below and you're trading S&Ps and you're 15 points from that point of control and it's 20 points to settlement price. So a big range, 35 points there. And you're getting in and your stops, you're, you're risking only five points to try and maybe make that 20 or maybe it's 10, but that market keeps going down to point of control, which we all know regularly, the market likes to check prior day point of control as well as it does settlement price. So there are two areas you want to wait. You can start to recognize, I need to wait for that market to get closer to that point of invalidation, which is point of control. If you start to wait, you'll recognize, okay, that's my adjustment I'm making to this strategy. The strategy is still the exact same. I just have to make a small adjustment on how I'm getting it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that rating system. And I think you hit on an important point that your rating should be independent of how much money you made. Because I I feel like we've all had really good P&L days where maybe we didn't trade the best and sometimes, you know, don't even want to look at those things or should have made more. And I wonder if this isn't something that's difficult for people that are trading at home it might be why you want to get into a group with some people is that some of my best days were scratch or negative P&L days where I realized just how much money saved is the same as money earned, that it could have been a big blowout day. But really the only reason I knew that was because I was sitting in a room with a ton of traders and had people on my P&L monitor and could see like, oh, I'm only down this, but like everyone else is getting shellacked today. That was a good performance. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if that's not harder to do. do. Do you think it's harder as a retail trader to take any solace in yeah, like, decent I bad think, days? Yeah, I think so. Like Jack, the difference for you is you were in a team and you guys were all trading similar, right? You were all looking at very similar things. You were working together you know, in a team, you might not have the same strategies, but there's the same call out. So you guys are talking and you're going, all right, everybody, we just had 5,000 contracts coming uh, between these prices. Let's look for something, right? You're hearing the call outs. 
from a retail perspective, everyone's looking so different. They're looking different timeframes. They have all different strategies. They're using different charting. They're using different indicators. There's so many differences. It's really hard to compare, you know, when it comes to that. Whereas in a prop firm like that, where you're all kind of similar, you're all taught in a similar way to look for some similar things, not trading the same. Um, from a retail perspective, everyone comes at it from a different approach. Maybe it's someone's looking at a five-minute chart and they're executing and they're saying it's trending higher, but then someone else is looking at an hour, hour chart and they're seeing it trending in the other direction and you're trading total opposite of each other, yet the higher time frame's making money because the lower time frame's not paying attention to the stronger time frame, which tends to be the higher time frame. Yeah. I wonder if even just looking at volatility too or something like that to hang your head on because i don't think this is controversial although there are some to make more money we just know from a lot of data we have from all the retail accounts we look at that on the big down days or like i mean i mean down days in a sense like if the vix goes way up and stocks kind of crash i feel like those are the days where we see the most people get smoked so to speak yeah, you know, you think about it when you look at equities, everyone's been, you know, any trader that's been trading for 10 years has been trained to trade the long side. Right. And when it's not long, it's kind of weird. It sure has been the case since last March. Big institutions make the money on the downside because they're waiting for it and they can position themselves for it where the retail guy is saying, all right, we're going to catch a bottom here. Um, it's coming to another level. I'm going to catch this one. And you just kind of continue to get eaten up. And then eventually, this is what always happens. Eventually, you give in to the short side, and then that's when the bottom is found. Yeah. Yeah, they have the ways to do that. They have a lot of information. So, yeah, watch out for those significant changes in market state. Um, that's kind of where we're at right now on this is look in the midterm. Don't let one day get under your skin, but don't make the same mistake over and over again. That's the definition of insanity. So on a few top step type notes here, uh, keep your eye out, everybody. Well, before we jump into that, I just want to give one thing to keep an eye on, especially for traders like course. in the trading combine. If you're starting to notice you've had a few bad days in a row, you want to keep this account going. First off, I will say very simply, downsize. If you're trading one contract and it's not working, if you're an equities trader, go look at the micros for a little bit. Just get back on track. Little green days make a huge psychological change if you're executing based off your strategy. Once you start to do that, you can re kind of rebuild some of that confidence. So if it's a few down days in a row, downsize, take a little time off. There are a lot of things you can do to kind of reset yourself mentally. If you take a little time off, when you come back, you can look at the market. You might see things you weren't seeing beforehand. So that would just be a couple little tangible takeaways to work on or to think about when it comes to uh, strategy adjustment. Before you sh jump ship, downsize, get a little bit smaller, take a little bit of time off, and then come back and trade a little smaller and get a feel for that market once again. Absolutely. No revenge trading. You don't, you don't size up and try and take on the world. When things aren't going right, lower the size. If they start going right there, you build some consistency, size up then. Uh, that's probably like the best trading advice you can give. So... Um, the second best advice, I am joking, of course, is uh, yeah, check out. We got a couple uh, interesting competitions coming up here at Top Step. Uh, we're going to do something for the Olympic Games that we'll tell you about next week. 
Uh, but it'll be fun, probably bracket-style competition where we'll have the uh, currencies fight each other. Uh, Dan, who's your favorite currency? Who do you think is going to win this all? U.S. dollar, man. U.S. dollar? Yeah, just one-to-one. If we're talking Olympics, I'm Mr. USA over here. Um, people have probably seen keep my uh, my Olympic jersey behind me. I can't root for anything other than U.S. dollar, even though maybe the U.S. dollar might be declining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I got to stand behind Team USA. Yeah, right on. Well, uh, I'll go all Rocky Four and support the uh, Soviet ruble. I don't think that's around. <laughs> um, anyway, I am joking about that. But hello, everybody in Russia. We still cool. Um, so until next week, hope you're having a great old time. Go outside, enjoy the weather, or enjoy the company inside it's all good your choice dan thanks for stopping by thank you we'll be there next week as always you keep namasteing and staying well limit up is presented by top step and produced by dante 32 Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.